0: I trust that you have found the book of Galatians. Uh, that's where we've been the last few weeks again and where we're going to be today. In the, we're going to be in chapter 4, the first seven verses, which I'm actually going to go ahead and read uh, for us. So I'd encourage you to follow along in your copy of the scriptures, Genesis, or Genesis, Galatians chapter 4, verses 1 through 7. The Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wrote to these churches and said this. I mean that the air... As long as he is a child is no different from a slave though he's the owner of everything but he's under guardians and managers until the date set by his father in the same way we also when we were children were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world but when the fullness of time had come god sent forth his son born of woman born under the law to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, so you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. This is the word of our Lord. Uh, family inheritances are something that come to mind as we think about our parents and uh, thankfully in God's providence I have actually not had to think or worry about family inheritances and I don't say that as a statement about my family's wealth or lack thereof but more of our health I turned 37 this week so I'm now in my late 30s I've told a few people I feel like I'm getting older but in God's kindness not only do I still have both of my parents still alive uh, which that is not unusual for someone my age But I still, at 37, have all four of my grandparents still alive and well, Uh, and I've gotten to live around them and be around them since I was really young. I'm grateful to God that I haven't had to even think about a family inheritance to come to me. Uh, But I have been around long enough and known enough people and pastored for a while enough to know that inheritances can bring with them a lot of drama. Uh, That a time that should be uh, a time of rejoicing, receiving what generations before may have worked for and accumulated can sometimes become a real source of drama and tension for us. When we sit around a table or we start having those conversations with siblings and others who may be part of the will to decide who gets what and who gets to decide who gets to make the decisions here. It can breed a lot of conflict and anger, jealousy, confusion, frustration, all these sorts of things. But the drama attached to inheritances doesn't just start at that table. It doesn't just start at that meeting itself once the parent has passed away. It can actually start far sooner. And it's not hard to imagine that as a child, if your parent is getting near to death, if you're anticipating that they are soon uh, to go to be with the Lord, that you start to think and your other siblings start to think about that inheritance to come. And you may start to have these... I would say it this way, that the possibility of an inheritance like that it may be coming the possibility of an inheritance, can reveal the presence of insecurity. Uh, that, it, that you can start to have these questions. They may be subtle or they may be real forward in your mind, depending on your relationship with your parent. You may start to just think some basic things like, I am one of the heirs, right? Uh, surely I'm, I'm in the will. Surely I'm part of the state, if there is one, has been left to me. Or you could start to think, In question in your mind, you can play back your relationship with your parent and start to wonder, are there things that he or she may be holding against me? Are there things that maybe I'm forgetting that are unresolved but that are lodged in their mind that would keep me from being an heir that would lessen the inheritance that I would receive? You think, we're good, right? Like, surely we're okay with each other. Or a little more sinister, Satan may start to tempt you to think if your parent has a few months or maybe a few years left to live, you may be tempted to think, what do I need to do to kind of sweeten the pot for myself? Maybe if I care a little well for them, if I go live with them, if I do such and such, provide such and such for them, maybe they'll leave me a little bit more. Maybe they'll bump me up in the inheritance. And that insecurity can, can just run rampant in our hearts. It can be revealed by the possibility of an inheritance. But I would suggest to you, and what we'll see in today's text, I think, is a resolution of this, is that we can actually have somewhat of a similar insecurity when it comes to our heavenly father and the inheritance that he may give to us and that we can start to question things like i am one of his heirs right like i have an inheritance coming to me right we can maybe think back into our life and remember some of the evil things that we've done and think surely he's not holding that against me right like surely at the last judgment when the inheritance is given, surely he's not going to point back to that and and leave me out right Or we could maybe start to think in that that sinister mindset of maybe in the time that God gives me remaining, maybe there's just stuff I need to do to make him more pleased with me. Maybe there's things I can do for his sake, do in his church, do for his kingdom that would improve my inheritance with him. And there is way more at stake with the inheritance of God than there is the inheritance of your mom or dad. And so, this insecurity can start to just uh, take root in our hearts. It can be revealed in our hearts. But our Heavenly Father, in His kindness, gives us a text like Galatians 4 1 through 7 uh, to help us dissolve those insecurities, to help us resolve those nerves that we may have as it comes to the possibility of us receiving an inheritance. From him, And so I want to walk back through this text that we read just a few minutes ago, and I want to show you, uh, if you're a believer today, if you're a child of God today, I want, you to, sh- I want to show you the links to which God has gone to gain you an inheritance, to secure you an inheritance. And I want us to walk away, if we hear nothing else, I want you to hear this today, that if you are united with Christ, your inheritance is secure. If you're united with Christ, your inheritance is secure. So on this Father's Day, let's walk back through this text. I'm going to show you three things from this text that the Father has done for you, if you're one of his children, if you're one of his heirs. And I hope that it can help you grow in your security and your confidence that you really do have an inheritance waiting for you from our Father. The first thing I want to show you in these first two verses, if you start at the beginning of this text, is a very simple point, is that he chose you. Our Heavenly Father chose you to become one of his heirs. So there's this generic family that's described there in the first couple of verses, isn't there? We don't know their names. It's just kind of a hypothetical family. And Paul even just mentions two people really within it. He mentions this heir who he says is a child, which just means like he's a toddler. He's a very young child. And then he mentions the father. And he says that this father, while that child is so young, uh, while that child is in his infancy, toddlerhood, he says that that father places that child under guardians and managers. That makes sense, right? You're not going to turn over the keys of inheritance, turn over all the possessions to a two-year-old. Uh, there's, there's a delay. There's these guardians and managers that he places over this young child. It's an eventual heir. This child's an eventual heir, but in the meantime, he's placed under these guardians and managers. And what, when that uh, inheritance will come to him, Paul says at the end of verse 2, is the date set by his father. So I want you to see here that the father, when it comes to an inheritance in this situation, the father is the one who's in control. The father is the one who's orchestrating all of it. He's the one determining who receives the inheritance. He's the one determining when they receive it. The father is the one giving the inheritance. And this is true with our heavenly father as well. Um, but you see it in this illustration it gives of an earthly family that, and we could totally miss this when we think about inheritances sometimes. The, the glaringly obvious thing about inheritances is, is that they are given at the discretion of the parent. Inheritances are given, in this case, by the father at his discretion. Inheritances are not something that are earned like a paycheck. They're something that is given by a parent as a gift to the children. And and that's important for us to see because this this was so encouraging for me to see in this illustration and think on in my heart this week that the father's commitment to give the inheritance far precedes the child's desire to receive it, right? Right? Long before the the toddler doesn't know what an inheritance is, let alone desire it, let alone long for it, but even before that toddler even knows that there's a possibility of an inheritance and has those insecurities grow in their heart, the father is already at work to secure it and to give it to them. And that is the same thing that's true with us in the spiritual realm, with our heavenly father, that long, I would say this to you, long before you even existed, God, our Heavenly Father, was orchestrating the events of history to secure an inheritance for you, to to be able to grant you an inheritance. God chose you to become one of his heirs. It's not something that you grew into. It's not something that you chose. It's something that he initiated. It's something that he brought to be from start to finish, even before creation. Not just before your birth, but even before creation, the Bible tells us, he was working to bring you an inheritance. The the work for it did not begin with you. The the work for it began in the mind and the heart of God the Father, and then he set it in motion to secure you an inheritance. But lest we get the the, the wrong image from those first two verses, I want us to know, and I would want you to know, though, when it comes to your relationship with God, it's not as if you are just some immature kid who needs to grow up into an inheritance, as if you are worthy of it, you just need to mature a little bit. That our problem with God, our Father, was not immaturity, but immorality. Because I think sometimes we think, well, I, I'm a good person. I just, you know, there was mistakes I made. I was just kind of dumb and foolish as a kid. But, but God's always known I'm a good person, and I just needed to kind of grow up a little bit. And now he sees the good person that I've become. That is not the case. And you see it in this text, not, that just, not just that God chose you, but that he freed you. That would be the second thing. Uh, that, that's another thing he needed to do to secure you an inheritance, to secure me an inheritance, is that we had to be freed. Our problem wasn't just that we're toddlers who need to mature, but that we were slaves to sin who needed to be freed. And praise God, that he and we see in this text, that he worked to free us from our slavery. Right. Uh, If you see in verse three, uh, he, he shifts to talk about realities of us, not just hypotheticals in verse one and two, but real things, real relationships. He says, in the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. So he uses that image of enslavement, of slavery that that we started, all of us began, there's no exceptions to this, uh, that all of us began as slaves and slaves to what? He says to the elementary principles of the world. I am having to resist trying to turn this into a dad joke because I love dad jokes and they're usually based on a word sounding like another word. Uh, But if you look at this phrase where he says we're enslaved to elementary principles of the world. I was thinking, man, if one of my kids just heard that uh, and they think they're enslaved to elementary principles, they may be thinking of, like, Mr. Snyder, who's part of our church, who's an actual principal of an elementary school, that sometimes if we have conflict with a principal of our school, we think, I'm enslaved, them, I just got to do what they tell me to do. I got to be good in class. I got to uh, not throw stuff in the cafeteria. That's not the word he says here. It's principles in terms of ideas and laws especially, that he says that we all begin enslaved to basic elementary laws of the world. And for some people who grew up in Jewish families uh, that he's writing to, that would have meant that they were under the Old Testament law, those basic principles that God had given to them, uh, those laws he had given to them. For Gentiles, who had been most of the people receiving this letter from him, it might have been, they might not have even grown up hearing the Old Testament. They were still enslaved, though, to basic principles of, of the world, things like their conscience, for example, that you don't need to be read the law of God to, to know the law of God in a sense in your conscience, and even when we know the law of God that was written in the Old Testament, or when we know the rules of God's world that are embedded upon our conscience, all of us still buck against those. Even when we know what's right, even when we're trying to do what's good if we want to say that, we are still disobeying the very thing we say we know we have to follow. None of us are innocent. We're enslaved to this. We can't get out of it. We can't actually start obeying the way that we want. And even if we could, we would still have our guilt to deal with. As slaves, we have sinned over and over and over against our creator, and we know it. And until that guilt is removed from us, until that that anger of God that is right towards our sin is dealt with, there's no way we can be right with him. There's no way we can be a child that is received and loved by him, let alone given an inheritance by him. That sin, that enslavement to sin has to be resolved. We have to be freed from it. And praise God, long before we were ever desirous to be freed, God the Father was orchestrating the things to free us. To, to rid us of that enslavement to sin, to those elementary principles of the world. I, I was thinking of this just on Friday. It was June 19th, a day that some people, and we've learned this, maybe many of us in our society, a day people call Juneteenth, June 19th, was a day a few days ago where we remember in our country the freedom that was given to slaves, to our African-American brothers and sisters long ago who were wrongfully enslaved who should have never been enslaved in the first place. They, they were read their freedom from the Emancipation Proclamation, and there should have been joy and celebration ought to be in every heart that they were freed. But those brothers and sisters and children deserved freedom. It was long overdue to them, right? We as slaves of sin, we do not. There was no one that should have looked at us and said, they deserve to be freed. Look at these good people just under this enslavement. That is not our condition. We did not deserve to be freed. But God looked at us in our enslavement and said, I want to free them nonetheless. Like, I want them to become my children. I am going to free them from their, the punishment that I owe to them. I'm going to free them from this enslavement to sin. And it's this verse 4 says to us, At that appointed time, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son. If you want to know what skin in the game God had to gain you an inheritance and to free you, it required the sending of his very son, who we now know as Jesus Christ. The son he had known for all eternity, he sent him forth into this world. It says that he was born of woman, that means he was a human being just like us, but that he was also born under the law. He was born as a Jew under the law of God, but I would note to you there is no statement that he was enslaved to that law like we were. He was free under it and he obeyed it perfectly. He, he did everything that the Father asked of him and did it obediently, did it joyfully, did it willingly. But then know what he says in this text. It says that he was sent forth, verse 5, to redeem those who were under the law. That that word redeem is so important for us because it shows us the price that had to be paid. It shows us the deep cost that there was for our freedom from enslavement. We had to be redeemed, not just matured. And what it means to be redeemed is that Christ, in a sense, paid our debt. He suffered the penalty that should have been coming to us when he went to the cross. The one that was innocent, that deserved nothing but blessing from the Heavenly Father and reward from the Heavenly Father took the exact opposite as he went to the cross. And it was because our sins were counted to him. And, and he suffered the curse of God. He suffered the judgment of God for people like us who've been enslaved to sin so that it might be removed from us. So that, that, that judgment of God, that right judgment of God that should have been coming down to us, it's been diverted and placed upon Christ so that we might be released of our guilt. We might be made clean. We might be made pure. We might be, in, in this text, we might be set free from our enslavement to sin. And the work of Jesus upon the cross then led to his resurrection a few days later on Sunday morning, a Sunday morning like this one. I don't know if it was sprinkling there or not. Probably not. God probably made it nice and sunny that morning. But he was raised a Sunday morning, that Sunday morning after to show that God approved of him. And through that work of Jesus, through his life, his death on the cross in your place, and then his resurrection, you and I can be re- reconciled to God. We can be brought back to God. We can be freed from our enslavement to sin. And I want you to know, uh, many of you, I know that that has happened in your life long ago, that that appointed time in your life where God came into your life and you turned asking for forgiveness to him and you received that forgiveness, that was long ago. But there's some of you, I promise here physically today or watching on the live stream that this has not yet happened in your life. You to this moment are a slave to sin and you can't free yourself. You can try to be good, but as you're trying to be good, you are still under these elementary principles and you cannot free yourself and God will not forgive you as long as you remain in that state. But that heavenly father who should crush you, who should judge you, has sent his son to suffer in your place. And what he asked of you is to turn to him in repentance and faith to say, I am sorry for my rebellion against you. I'm sorry I've bucked against these rules and these regulations that I've known you've uh, placed upon me as a, a human being. Please forgive me. That, that, that God, that Heavenly Father will forgive you. He will receive you back to be his child. He will reconcile you to himself. And what that means for us, if we have done that, if we have turned to him in faith and repentance in his son, I want all of you to hear, if that's true of you, that God the Father has no unresolved beef with you. There is nothing, if you look back in your past and think, man, that was horrible. Like, how could I have done that? Or why do I keep struggling with this thing? There is nothing that God looks at and thinks, you know what? I'm holding that against her. I I can't stand that he did that to me. There is nothing like that. As you think about a potential of inheritance from God the Father, you can have confidence he will not disinherit you. That there is nothing you can do that or have done in the past that can make him disinherit you because of the work of Christ. He is the one who set you free. He is the one who redeemed you. You don't redeem yourself. You don't free yourself. Jesus does, and he was sent by the Father to do it. And so he, uh, he chose you. If you're one of his children, he freed you if you're one of his children. But the glory of glory is what we can remember today on this Father's Day. This third thing that the Father has done for us is that he adopted you. It doesn't, this text doesn't just start saying that, that we were redeemed, that God sent Jesus to redeem those who are under the law. But the end of verse 5 says that he was sent to redeem those under the law so that so there's this other purpose there's this additional thing that God was wanting to bring about and committing to bring about and sending his son he says so that we might receive adoption as sons praise God for that, that God could have orchestrated things differently, where we had such wrong committed against him, where he could have, even in the desire to show his mercy, to show his kindness, could have said, you know what, I'm going to send Christ to suffer the judgment for these people, and so I can show them forgiveness and pardon, but he could have left us at arm's reach. He could have left us in some sense as like a secondary member of his household, or like an underappreciated person in his kingdom. But he went far beyond that and made us his children. Adopted us as his children. We are not just neutral in God's household. We have been adopted as children. And, And you know this, most of you. But if you have never thought about this before, what adoption means is that a parent extends full and grants full acceptance to a child, full, complete, permanent acceptance to a child with all rights and privileges of a child—that that they do not bring them into their family as some sort of uh, second-class child, as some sort of person who has part of the rights of the family, part of the responsibilities of the family—they are brought in fully and completely, even though they used to have no nothing to do with that family, nothing to do with that parent, nothing to do with those siblings. But adoption is the granting of full acceptance as a child. That means that if you are adopted as a child of God, you have the full affection of the Father. You have the approval of the Father. You have his attention as your heavenly Father. You have his provision as a heavenly Father. You have even his discipline, which we might not think of as a good thing. You have his discipline as a heavenly Father over you. You have all the rights and privileges of a child. And that should just make our hearts sing because we know that it's not just that God tolerates us, but that he treasures us. There's a difference when you have guests who come into your house that aren't your children, that you like having them there, but sometimes they grate on you and you're just kind of tolerating them, just waiting for them to go home and back to their family. But with your own children, even when those things happen, you treasure them still. There's something in your heart where you treasure them and that never changes. And that is how God the Father looks at us. He he doesn't just tolerate us, he treasures us. And and I I would note here, lest you miss this, that that adoption is something that you receive, Paul says, not that you earn. He says that that we receive adoption as sons. That is something, again, you see God the Father as the actor. You didn't have to do anything to prove to to God the Father that he should adopt you or that he'd be glad to adopt you. He chose long before you ever wanted to be part of his family, he chose to make you part of his family. It was his choice. You have received it. I want to take a moment, and I, in talking about adoption, I want to publicly just commend, not by name, but the many families in our church who have adopted children, recently or in years and generations gone by. Uh, I want to commend you and commend us who are part of your church family to, to honor you, to appreciate what you have done in the adoption of your sons, your daughters, because it is a beautiful, beautiful picture of God the Father's love for us. What you have done for that son or daughter, even if they don't fully realize it, it is a picture for all to see uh, of what the Father has done for us, taking someone who was not his child and fully bringing them into your family. That honors the Lord more than you maybe even realize and you may be tempted to forget. But I'd also encourage us as believers uh, to consider adoption ourselves. We don't have a mandate from God uh, to adopt children into our families, but I think we, it should be a commendable possibility for us in our lives. And, and I want to correct one misconception that I think I grew up thinking to my shame is that I think sometimes we think of adoption as a plan B of sorts for families. That we think, you know what, Like, if I get married, and, and if, 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 if possible, plan A would be that we have our own biological children. But if that doesn't work out for some reason, or if God uh, sees fit to not offer that, then maybe we could adopt. Maybe that's how we could build a family. That is sometimes how the human heart and mind operates, but that must never be our mindset. And you know why? It's not just because that's, that sounds terrible, because that's not the heart of God. God's adopting of us was never plan B. He had his own son, right? He had his son in eternity past, Jesus Christ. And to gain more children, plan A was to send his very son. Adopting us was not plan B in God's mind and heart. It was plan A from the very beginning, from before creation. As we think about adoption, we should not just view it as some sort of plan B that I may fall back upon. But as a potential plan A for my family to say, how can we extend the love of our family to a son or to a daughter who's in need of parents, who's in need of the love of a family? And one of the perks of being adopted by God we see in this text is that we get to receive an inheritance from him. Uh, that is one of the perks of being adopted into an earthly family, potentially, but it is most certainly a, a perk of being adopted into the family of God. I want you to think about this. When, when we're talked about as, as being heirs here in this text, and at the end of verse 7, you see that we're an heir now in his family for a son. I want you to think about that, what that means for you. That if you're a child of God, what sort of inheritance is waiting for you? I tried to look up, I haven't had to think about family inheritances in my own life, but I looked up what some of the largest inheritances are that have ever been given or going to be given. And just one that many of you may be aware of this family, the Walton family, who owns Walmart. Uh, I don't know how they're going to divvy this up, but they have an estate. They have uh, this wealth as a family of $150 billion, with a B, with ab dollars that is going to someday be passed on to the generation to come. And if you think about what that could buy, what that could gain you, you could have yachts, you could have planes, you could have probably your own countries, you could buy islands in the Pacific Ocean, you could be on vacation the rest of your life, but that will never, no earthly inheritance can even hold a candle to the inheritance of God the Father that he has already promised to us. Because you know what we get to inherit is everything that belongs to the Father everything that belongs to him think of the new creation that he has said is coming that belongs to him and all that it entails the resurrected bodies we will receive the the pure good relationships that we will receive that will never be tainted with sin eternal life that we get to receive presence direct access unmediated to god himself for eternity that is our inheritance I will take that over $150 billion any day of the week, any day of my life. We have an inheritance that has been given to Jesus that now he will share with us as his siblings. And he will share it perfectly. There's not going to be backbiting and fighting about who gets what. He will give it all and share it all with us and our inheritance will never fade. The the apostle Peter wrote in 1 Peter 1 that we receive, and God is holding in heaven, an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. He says that God keeps it in heaven, and it's waiting for you. You will receive it. But we have, even now, we have experiential confirmation of his adoption of us. We don't just have to wonder, am I really adopted? Am I really an heir? I know Jesus did all those things, but Am I really connected with Him? What Paul says in this text is that God has given us experiential confirmation by sending His Spirit into our hearts. That is an additional way we can know that we are heirs as if God has sent the Spirit into our hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. If we have this experience in our life of being able to cry out to Him and know Him as our Heavenly Father, uh, we have the Holy Spirit as a down payment of sorts. That, that's what Paul says elsewhere. It's like God the Father has given us a down payment to say, I'm giving you the Holy Spirit so you can know that the rest is coming. And that is one, uh, one down payment. I mean, that, that is, there is no better down payment. God has given us himself. He's given us his spirit to live within our hearts. And if the resurrection of Jesus showed us that God the Father approved of his son, the sending of the Holy Spirit shows his approval of us that we have been received into his family, that we have been adopted by him as his children. So praise God, he has given us that down payment so that we might know the rest of our inheritance is coming. So God chose you. God freed you. God adopted you. I want to show you one last thing at the very end of this text that, that just uh, stuck in my heart in a good way this week as I, as I was noticing this and reveling this. I want you to look at verse 7 if you have your text open. Some of your translations will say this a little bit different, but I, I think it's a good summary of the text, and I want to show you what the very last phrase that Paul says. He says, So you are no longer a slave. That should make our hearts sing. But a son, and if a son, then an heir, and then note what he says through God. If you were just reading that, you might think he would say, uh, if you're a son, then you're an heir of God, right? That would be accurate to say that, hey, I'm an heir of God. God the Father is giving me his inheritance. But that is an accurate translation of what Paul said. He said that we are an heir, you are an heir through God. And what that should remind us of is that God is the one who brought it about. You didn't do anything to gain it from him. He did everything to gain it for you and to give it to you. Your inheritance is not just uh, of him, but it's through him. He's done everything to adopt you into his family. He's done everything to gain you an inheritance. You are an heir through God, not just an heir of God. And so when you feel insecurities rise up in your heart, when you start to look to the end of time and the possibility of the reward that the Father may give to you, I want you to hear our Heavenly Father speaking to you, verse 7. Hear him saying, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. He doesn't say, you could be an heir, you might be an heir. For now, you're an heir. He says, you are an heir through God. And so remember this, if you are united with Christ, your inheritance is secure. I'm going to pray for us. I'm going to invite the worship team to come forward. We're going to sing one more song. Well, join me in praying to our Heavenly Father who has gone to great lengths uh, to make us his children and gain us our inheritance.